Hello, friends. This is the Messenger Podcast, where our goal is to develop messengers whose lives tell the story of the gospel. I'm your host, Addison Bevere, and we're currently in the middle of our Reset Church series. And today I have a special guest in the studio. I'm joined by Tyler Daswick. Tyler is the senior writer and culture editor for Relevant Magazine, which focuses on the intersections of faith and culture. And his feature article called Generation Change was part of the inspiration for this series. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Hey, thanks for having me, Addison. Yeah, man, absolutely. So first of all, before I ask you a bunch of hard questions, I want you to tell me a bit about yourself. Well, uh, as as you uh, so illustriously introduced me, I'm the senior writer and culture editor at Relevant Magazine, which means I mostly write about uh, movies and TV, and that is my jam. Uh, but uh, yeah, for, for articles like this and features like this, part of my job is to look at uh, generations and generational differences between millennials and Gen Z and Gen X and see how all of those uh, different dynamics and relationships are impacting the world of faith and culture. That's awesome, man. So I got to ask you, what movie are you most excited about in 2019? 2019? Well, I mean, it's it's hard not to be excited about uh, Avengers Endgame, which uh, <laughs> when we're recording comes out in, in a couple weeks. It, I mean, it might be the biggest movie of all time. So hard not yeah. to be uh, uh, hard not to be excited about that one. Yeah, I just recently saw the new Star Wars trailer too. Oh my gosh, dude! I, right? I'm a huge Star Wars fan. <laughs> I I know it's controversial, but I loved the Last Jedi, and I, I couldn't be more pumped about this one too. You know, I loved it too. I'm about the only person I know here at Messenger who loved it. Everyone else hated it. I, dude, I think there's so much to like about it. I think it's so artful. I think Kylo Ren is the best the best villain uh, we have in modern movies. I think all the actors are terrific. They're funny. Uh, they're really cinematic. Dude, that movie rocks. <laughs> wow. Okay, I got some people here in the studio cringing right now, so we might have to move on. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not rank on too many people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, well, hey, you wrote this amazing article called Generation Change. So I want to first ask you, what was the inspiration for that article? Well, relevant uh, here at the magazine, we focus a lot on millennials. Um, but something, of course, that's that's happening in the church right now is we're seeing Generation Z start to um, age into roles where they could have a lot of influence. And, sure. and so... It's, it's kind of important to be proactive in thinking about that and how to involve and empower a, a rising generation as they assume more prominence just in like cultural dialogue and cultural change. And so we, uh, the impetus of the story was trying to get ahead of that and look at all of this uh, data and statistics and things we know about Gen Z and trying to figure out, okay, how exactly are they going to affect uh, the way church works, the, the way Christianity looks and feels uh, as they start to enter leadership positions and positions of influence. Okay. So generally speaking, what would you say are the major differences between millennials and Gen Z in their approach to church? Well, I feel like I, I wonder how many uh, personal anecdotes are going to come out of this, but I feel like millennials carry a lot of baggage uh, when it comes to church. I think that... Why would you say that? Because I, because I think a lot of them uh, grew up with it and kind of have inherited church values. Uh, so I think it's a very common thing with the millennial generation to be 
oh, I was raised Catholic. I was raised Christian. I went to Sunday school and uh, church is very kind of tied to tradition and family and, and terms that are associated with that. And so, okay. So you're saying it's part of their family culture. Yeah. So, so as soon as, you know, millennials became adults, uh, you saw a lot of exit from the church across the whole generation because, oh, now I can make this a personal choice for me. Well, the only thing that tied me to church was my family. And everyone now is talking about this relationship with Jesus. I don't really understand that. So I guess this isn't for me and millennials would leave. And so now that millennials are having kids, Gen Z and, and Gen Z is growing up, uh, because millennials are less involved in the church than, say, Gen X or, of course, baby boomers were, they don't have that baggage. They don't have that family-related relationship to church or faith or religion. And so that means a lot of things. It means that you know some of the stigmas might not be there. Uh, it means some of the like church-taught values might not be there. Um and so there are kind of positives and negatives with that. But uh, I think the easiest way to summarize it is that millennials have lots of church baggage. And because they kind of left the church as a result of that baggage, Gen Z actually doesn't have it. Okay. So you're saying that because millennials essentially shipwrecked the church experience, the Gen Zs uh, are going to have an easier go. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't <laughs> That's a gross oversimplification. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, you gave you gave a pretty robust answer, and so for our listeners, I'm, I, I wanna I wanna simplify it for them. Obviously, we, we've got some reductionism here that we're working through. But would you say that because the millennials had this adverse response to church, now Gen Z they're they're more open to figuring out what it actually means to be a part of the church, and of course, in a new context. Yes, I think so, and I think the the new context element is important. I think that they would probably buck against a traditional relationship with church um, in, in, in terms of like... Traditional meaning traditional 21st century relationship with church, right? Yes. Or traditional meaning 20th century relationship with church. Uh, traditional in the sense of like, oh, this is how my parents did church, so that's how I'm going to do it. Okay. I, I don't think that's really important to, to Gen Z. Um, I, I mean, I think... You know, the, one of the numbers in, in the story is that when it comes to, you know, key components of identity, only about 20% of people in Gen Z named religion. So while it's not really something that they say, oh, this is a huge component of my life, a central component of my life, uh, they, I would agree with you that they are open to possibilities of how to integrate faith, church, Christianity, uh, religion into their experience, but it will probably look different than past generations. Sure. And I would say reading your article, your, your general, your general takeaway was, was pretty optimistic actually about Gen Z's relationship with church going forward. What would, would you say that's the case? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I just think that something that I, I came to, I came to Christianity and church, um, as a 19 year old. And so as someone who was trying to kind of enter into this culture, there were a lot of conflicts in my experience. And I felt like it was very difficult for me to try to shape my church values, the things that I wanted in a church, thought would, would be important in a church, 
to these really, really entrenched establishments. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a generation to be entering into this time where they're going to think, okay, how can I make change? How can I be influential? How can I make a difference? I think for them to kind of be coming at this from a clean slate will actually be super, super valuable to a church that I think has probably gotten a little bit rote in the way it does things generally. Okay. So, I mean, the idea of a a clean slate, obviously that's an incredible notion. What would it look like, practically speaking, for for a church, let's say it's more insulated, more entrenched in its ideals and its way to do church? What are some things that a church could do to move toward a clean slate and a new experience for Gen Z? I think it really just starts with opportunity. I, I think if if one thing has really been solidified about Gen Z, just in, in terms of like broad popular culture, we know that they are very, very vocal and they really, really want to be involved in things they care about. We, we see this especially a lot in, in activism. If you look back at uh, historical instances like the Parkland shooting, you, you had all of these Gen Z uh, teenagers and high schoolers come and say, hey, this is what I believe about this issue. This is what's important to me. And this is how I want to take this experience and make change out of it. And they were really, really proactive about it. And they didn't really, you know, wait for uh, a structure to fall into place or an institution to come along and support them. They just did it. And they leveraged all these cool things about the internet and and technology that past relationship, uh, past generations probably wouldn't have. And so I think for a church uh, to sort of anticipate this generation coming up and position themselves to receive them and uh, welcome them, it's going to be extending those opportunities. I think that uh, the sort of traditional gateways, barriers, hurdles of involvement, uh, how to be involved in your church, serve your church, um, maybe have like little positions of leadership in your church as, as a lay person. I think those things should be a lot more open to Gen Z because Gen Z has a demonstrated want to participate, to get involved. And I think if the church meets them there, then you can see some really cool changes happen. Yeah, no, that's good. I I loved what I read in your article about the fact that Gen Z actually volunteers. They actually want to serve. They actually want to get involved. And I say this as a millennial, and obviously this is a gross generalization, but I think millennials like the idea of serving, (laughs) like the idea of being philanthropic, like the idea of making a difference until it requires some kind of personal action. Yes. And of course, that that is a terrible generalization, but I do think that there is some truth in it. And I love what you shared. If churches create opportunities for us to serve, which we have to remember, the cross redefined power and authority. So the whole idea of the cross is it's this model of, of insane service. <laughs> I mean, absolutely insane yeah. service. The greatest of all time, the son of God came and laid his life down. And he said, look, I am, I am the greatest. And yet I have become the servant of all. And if we are going to experience the the vocation that's a part of our identity as the people of God, then we cannot deny this, this need to serve. And we have to create space for us to serve. And so I, I love what you shared about creating opportunity 
for Gen Z and and I would say millennials as well. And and I would say this goes across the span of generations representing the body of Christ, prioritizing this opportunity to serve. Because when we don't live according to that ideal, honestly, we're denying one of the foundational components of our faith. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that I, th- I think the, the difference that came to my mind is that for for the typical millennial, again, I know we're speaking generally here, but for the typical millennial, uh, you know, making change looks like posting something on Facebook where <laughs> liking a picture like, hey, I'm all about this movement. I like to right, picture. Right. It gives it gives you the chance to, you know, kind of pat yourself in the back. Like, oh, I did my part. You know, I, I sent I sent my I sent my thoughts their way, you know. <laughs> but, but I think there was some good vibes. I right, said the good vibes. Uh, but I think for Gen Z, for someone, for, for a generation that does not know a world without the internet, they understand the, the limitations of that kind of slacktivism, uh, you know, like, sure. and, and they know, okay, like this actually doesn't do anything. So I'm actually just going to go out and do it. And, and, and I think that that understanding is, is super valuable. And that extends to, as, as you said, all aspects of service, there's, there's a posture toward the world with, with young people, that's just different. And, and it's, it's very, very action oriented, not just like, I need to express myself, you know, it it takes the next step. Yeah. I heard, I heard something recently that essentially all teenagers rebel. It's just a question of what they're going to rebel against. And, and it was, it was talking about parenting and I said, look, as a parent, if your if your teenager has your heart and if you have their heart, they're not going to rebel against you. They're going to rebel against an injustice. But if you don't have your teenager's heart and if your teenager doesn't have your heart, they're going to rebel against you. And I think in a lot of ways, we're seeing this lived out in the church because there hasn't been that heart connection. People haven't been connected with the true mission, the true purpose of what it means to be the ecclesia, what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be the church. We relegated that to to certain expressions that have become comfortable and familiar in the norm in the last couple generations. But we got to remember, I mean, I'm sure you have a global perspective. Church looks very different across cultures. Um, I mean, obviously in China, the underground church movement, it's a very intimate movement. It's exploding. It's absolutely phenomenal what's happening there. And it's very different than the model that we, in, in a sense, have idolized here in the United States. Yeah, I, well, let me, let me turn this around on, on you and ask you a question, if I may. Sure. I, I'm curious how that deficit you talk about manifests um, in, in terms of a church that isn't isn't reaching people the, the same way that it, that it was or the same way that scripture is, is sort of uh, envisioning the church to look like. Yeah. Well, actually, we did an episode. It was a few episodes ago, and I talked about three things that are supposed to typify the church. Okay. And the three, and the three were unity, holiness, or uh, being holy. And, and what I mean by holiness is not following an arbitrary set of rules, I'm talking about an otherness that's supposed to define the people of God. An otherness where people look at us and they're like, man, there is something different about the way you guys do life, about the way you do relationship, about the way you navigate these these things that are a part of our everyday lives. There's an otherness about you, and that points to something greater, um, greater than what they've seen. And then the third one is, of course, love. And so I think if we as the church, if we figure out, okay, what does it mean to be 
a unified people? What does it mean to be a holy people? And what does it mean to be people who are known for our love for one another? Remember, that's what Jesus said in John 15, that they would know that we are his disciples. They would know that we are his followers by how we practically show love for one another. So I think, as, as you hit on earlier, I think a huge part of this is figuring out as a church how we can actualize faith. So it's it's one thing to teach theory. It's another thing to teach, you know, in teaching principles and all these things from the pulpit. But we have to merge the sacred and the secular. And I think what people have done in general is they they have their church experience and then they have their real life experience. And those two aren't required to be reconciled to each other. And it creates this dichotomy in their lives and they can justify the hypocrisy. They can justify the disconnect between what it means to be the people of God and what it means to be a lawyer, what it means to be a stay-at-home mom, or what it means to be a neighbor. And so I think if we can reconcile um, the the ways that we've compartmentalized our lives and, and create a holistic church experience that involves who we are as whole people, I think that's the key to, to creating buy-in and creating unity in the body yeah, of Christ. Yeah, I think, I think what you're getting at is, is changing the perception of, of church as something greater that's just a place you go on Sunday. And I think, I think that's kind of why the, you see churches that are really thriving, put such a strong emphasis on community. You, you can literally like take your church with you on Sundays in, in the way that you just interact with the people that you see there. And, and I think that, I think that is something that is going to be really, really essential as Gen Z kind of enters into this uh, kind of next chapter of, of their lives in terms of influence and, and leadership, I mean, community is going to be so, so key for them. And, and I think that especially looking at the way millennials have, have treated church and, and left church, that's something that's really, really missing right now in, in terms of, okay, like church, church, as many of us have been taught, is like, oh, this is a place I go on Sunday. I'll hear about the Bible, and okay, yeah, I can check that box for the week. But no, like you're you're supposed to be plugged in in a way where you are around people you can learn from and be taught by, but also share relational aspects of your life with in a way that actualizes the body of Christ in terms of a bunch of people being in relationship with one another, sharing the vulnerable parts of their heart with one another saying, this is hard for me right now. I'm struggling with this right sure. now. That is, that is essential to church with a lowercase C or a capital C. It's, it's not just a place where, Oh, you know, I go in to go feel good about my faith every Sunday. It's, it's not like I'm, I'm here to be healed. I'm here to be restored. I'm here to grow and receive grace and both emerge and give. Yeah, and give. give, give my life. <laughs> like that, that whole idea of laying our lives down. I mean, that can only be done in the context of community. Yeah, that's not that's not an individual experience. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna lay, I'm gonna lay down <laughs> my life and my journey of personal piety. No, that that's not that not that's not what spirituality is about. That's not what growing in Christ is about. And I, it's so interesting, Tyler. You talked about how a lot of Gen Z, they don't identify as religious. Like that's not something that's high on their list when they're defining who they are as a person. Well, maybe that's because their religious experience has been relegated to a meeting once a week 
or checking some kind of religious box. Yeah. Right. I mean, if that's all, if that's the extent of their quote unquote church experience, then sure, it would make sense for them to, to not identify as, as a Christian or identify as a person of faith. Yeah. I mean, how much, how much identity do you put in? Like, you know, think I, these Gen Z, like at, at the oldest are about 21, 22. Like how much identity do you put in like a student group you're involved with in college or like an after school club in high school? It's just, you don't look at that as an important part of yourself. And so there's, there's a re, uh, there's a redefinition that needs to happen in terms of church. Church isn't just an activity. It isn't just a location. It isn't just like a Sunday morning hassle. This is, this is a community that isn't just like, isn't just present in your life. It's, it's the center of your life. It is the filter through which you pass through all of the ideas and out the other side comes all the action and service that you give as a result of that filter. Yeah, no, that's well put. I mean, basically it's a, it's a reorientation. Yes. It's not just something on the side. It's not a part. It becomes the whole. And because it is the whole, then all the parts, all the specific expressions of who we are in our everyday lives and what that means when we're interacting with people of faith, people who are not Christians, people who are struggling with whatever issue, um, it, it requires us to see ourselves as an extension of God's redemptive plan and redemptive purposes, regardless of what context we find ourselves in. And that that makes it difficult to have these pat answers, to have formulas that allow us to marginalize people that God died to save. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I couldn't say it better. <laughs> awesome. Man. Well, hey, I want to highlight something that you wrote in the article because I absolutely love it. You said you write, at best, the numbers show a church culture with a presentation issue. The values might be there, but the message isn't being communicated well. So if as we're communicating this message from the pulpit or from whatever that pulpit looks like, whether that's a physical pulpit or a platform, how can the message be better communicated so that we can we can reconcile the the values and and the message and the presentation how how could we do that yeah I, well i think i think it starts with recognizing the most important things to communicate and again it it comes back to a vision for the church that is really really justice oriented in everything that that means we know that generation z cares about impacting the world in a way that emphasizes activism and real change, what better example of what, what better model for that than the church and restoring creation through the gospel? Like there it is. That's the message that that doesn't need to change, but I think that the delivery mechanism, and this is, this is why I think the church is kind of having a hard time right now is they think we have to kind of force it through these avenues that will meet Gen Z. So how do we get this through an iPhone? How do we get this through an app? How do we get this through social media? And I just, I think that, I think that those funnels just distill it in a way that is just such a disservice to what's trying to be communicated. And I think, I think on some level, you know, that, that might be a leadership issue in, in terms of people just operating on a cultural deficit with the people they're trying to reach. 
But sure. I think really it's a matter of just don't pander. I think I think if, if there's anything we can intuit about Generation Z, they can they can just sniff out the garbage. They know when they're being delivered something that's inauthentic and and fake and something that's kind of been you know twisted around to try to kind of meet what people think their sensibilities are. Yeah. And so when it comes to communicating a better message, I think it it's it's honestly as simple as deliver an authentic presentation of the gospel. Don't try to shove it through any anything you think is like, oh, this will this will reach the teens. Yeah. No, like the gospel is powerful enough. The, the, <laughs> like, no, we don't have to do it any favors. We just, we just preach the gospel, share the gospel, share the good news. <laughs> right. And, and that news, that message is, is going to be power enough on its own and empowering yeah. enough on its own. And so I think it's really got to start there and, and don't try to force it through a mechanism that, you know, you think, Oh, this, this is the best way to reach it. If you're just, if you just be on the level and, and recognize your generational difference, that that bridge can be built naturally. People are trying to build that bridge from, you know, Gen X or millennials to, to Gen Z with all these tools they don't know how to use. Just rely on your own knowledge and the authentic presentation of the gospel. That's the best way you can communicate that. Yeah, that's so good. And I mean, it's easier to deal in abstractions and I, w- I would tell people out there, like, look, go actually talk with people who are members of Gen Z. Go talk to them. Don't just look at the stats. Don't just look at what other people are saying. Like, go talk to them because the whole idea of service requires us to understand the person that we're serving. So if we, if we as a church, want to serve Gen Z and want to include them in the work of the gospel, well, we're going to have to give them a seat at the table. We're going to have to listen to their perspective. Like I love the beautiful combination of, of the wisdom of the old and the perspective and the vigor and the innovation of the young. We need both at the table. And I, I, I think it's cheap to dishonor what has been to validate what will be. I think being the body of Christ re- requires us to bring the generations together so that we can have healthy conversation around what it actually means to be the people of God and to advance this amazing gospel message in our world. And so what would you say are some things that people can do to bring Gen Z into the conversation? Uh, Literally bring them into the room. I like, like, (laughs) simple, bring them into the room. (laughs) Like, cause here's the thing, man, like there is such a craving uh, in this generation that their whole world's, exists. I mean, it's such a cliche. Their whole worlds exist on one device and that device eliminates the requirement for them to be in physical proximity to other people. That just isn't, that isn't a need anymore, but that creates such a craving among Gen Z. And we know this from data. They want it. Yeah. They, they want physical connection. They want physical community. They want to be around other people, but they have all these brand new barriers in their life that keep them from their friends, their friendships look different. Their relationships to their parents look different just because their default setting, and this isn't even their fault. It's not even a criticism. Their default setting is just to navigate everything through through a phone and through the internet. And, and so I think to, to literally invite young people into the room 
and get them face to face, it's, you're not, they're not going to be dragging their heels. Like they want, they want that. They want that. And, and so I think, I think it's honestly like, you know, it's, it sounds kind of funny when we just put it that way, but that's, that's the answer, man. Like Gen Z. And and I feel this too, as, as someone who's kind of borderline millennial Gen Z, like the loneliness is real. And there have been tons and tons of studies talking about a really just lonely United States right now. People are yeah. lonelier than ever. <laughs> I, this is going to be really radical, dude. The solution to loneliness, get people together. <laughs> <laughs> We're, this is, we're, we're not, uh, we're, we're not, you know, building a rocket here. Okay. Right. Like, this, isn't no, this, is, this is, this is profound, man. This is some really good stuff. I hope people are taking notes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I recently um, connected with someone who's in Gen Z. He wasn't saved. I had the privilege of connecting him with the gospel message and, and I was texting him for a while because, you know, I just thought like, Hey, that's his default mode of communication because he's Gen Z. But he really wanted to talk to me on the phone. He doesn't live in Colorado Springs, but he really wanted to talk to me on the phone. And to be honest with you, Tyler, I didn't necessarily enjoy talking to him on the phone because he is not skilled in having conversation. (laughs) This sounds so bad, okay? But he's he just he doesn't know how to have conversations. He's a completely different person when we're texting. It, the flow is different. Um, I feel like he can express himself and convey what's on his heart. But when we get on the phone, he's kind of like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, okay, yeah. And he doesn't really share anything, but he's craving it. Yeah. And as we've done it over time, he's gotten so much better at conversing over the phone. And so I think people listening to this, like, they need to be prepared to navigate a season of awkwardness because Gen Z is a generation that has grown up with a completely different orientation when it comes time to how they communicate what's important to them. Yeah. I mean, but, but look, like as, as you experienced, God shows up when we show up and he does. And it's, it's the matter of being like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be uncomfortable and step to, step into a space where I'm going to sit across the table from a, a 16 year old who is caught up in all kinds of 16 year old things. They just, they want that. They want that conversation. Can you imagine how radical it is to not know a world without the internet and have someone be like, Hey, you want to grab Chipotle? Like you want to meet up? Wait, what you meet up? My friends don't even ask me to meet up. Like, right. you know, my college friends and I, I have, I have two great college friends who've stayed in touch for years and we mostly just text, but man, I can't tell you the difference it makes when one of us is in crisis mode and you get the phone call and it's like, oh, this is real. Like, but that just, that matters so much and use that level of realness where oh, this, this person wants to meet up. This person wants to talk on the phone. They must really care about me. That kind of physical presence communicates so much. And it all comes back to, to the gospel. That's living out the gospel. That's showing up for people. That's giving of your time. And and I think that for a generation that, that is used to kind of like sitting back and letting things come to them, just, just again, not a criticism, just the way they've grown up and learned to function in the world, letting things come to them to, to have another person go against that and make the choice to step in physically into their world. 
is totally radical. It is. And, and, and opens the door for people to catch a really, really cool vision. I love that. So Tyler, we're, we're running short on time. I want to see if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners. Gosh. Uh, well, I, I mean, I feel like so many of our points have been blunt enough. Um, and I just, I, I really do believe in this notion of closing the cultural deficit. I think that this feature was most valuable to me as a writer and, and someone who thinks about the church and church culture and how it all changes a lot because I was able to put myself in the headspace of someone in a different generation than myself and think about here's how they see the world and here's how I can empower them to harness that vision and then turn it into action and turn it into the change that they are really, really craving. Okay. And so, and so I think that if, if there's anything to take away from this is make an effort to close those cultural deficits. It doesn't mean that I have to add a bunch of social media accounts and start living my life on the internet more than I already am. It doesn't mean I have to become like someone else in another generation. No, like stay true to your values and who you are, but understand the differences between you and someone else, because that will enable you, especially in a church context, to empower that person to use their sensibilities, their talents, their gifts to give something super valuable and important to the church. And I, I just, I think, so that's how I'd put a bow on it, closing that cultural deficit. That's well said. So what I'm hearing you say is that, look, if we are going to continue to build church, we're going to have to connect the generations. I mean, that's what I'm hearing you say. Like if church is going to thrive, if church is going to be healthy, the generations will need to be connected. Gen Z needs to have a seat at the table. And by bringing them to the table, we're going to be able to capture a vision of what it means to be the people of God in today's world. Is that, is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely, man. If, if you want a church that is uh, stagnant and unchanging and creaky and lame, uh, keep it exactly the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you want to add energy, if you want to add change, if you want to add people who see a way forward for the church where it's really making a difference in the world and really presenting the gospel in a way that is radical and tangible that you can witness in a literal way, close that cultural deficit. Yeah, that's so good. I love, there's something that my dad says all the time. He says, look, don't compromise the message, but you need to be willing to change your methods. And too often we fall in love with our methods and, and what that means as far as how we communicate the message. Well, Tyler, again, thank you so much for joining me today. And for everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. Tyler, I hope to be able to have you on the show again some, at some point in the future. It's been great having you in the mix. And if you're listening today and you're not subscribed, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of our Reset Church series. And if you love this episode, share it with your friends because that's what friends do. They share good stuff. And remember, as I leave you today, remember that you are a messenger to the people in your world. Your life is a message. Lean into God's grace and watch your world change. Until next time. Thanks for listening to The Messenger Podcast. Let us know your thoughts by leaving a review and be sure to subscribe and share these episodes through iTunes. You can connect with us through Facebook, Instagram, and through our website at messengerinternational.org. Until next time. Thank you.